Hello there, and welcome to this week's episode of the Dream to Destination podcast, which is actually a continuation from last week's episode. And they these two episodes are both based on a blog that is about uh, 30 solo female travel quick tips, um, some written by me and most written by other solo female travel bloggers or just female travel bloggers who have done solo travel. So this episode is going to be the last half of the 30 tips. And we're actually, it's it's a little over half. It's 14 through 30. So just a little over um, uh, half of the uh, the tips. But if you didn't tune into last week's episode, you know, you don't necessarily need to listen to them in any order. You can listen to this one and then listen to the next one, or you can listen to this one. You can head to the blog that uh, these podcasts were based on, which is linked in the show notes. If you, you know, want to read the other tips, um, I always recommend also checking out the blog in addition to the podcast, because the blog obviously has links out to sites. Um, any products that are recommended um, have links on where you can buy them. Any, um, you know, any recommendations that came from the solo female travelers who contributed to the blog, which is now being made into a podcast, uh, all their recommendations are linked out. I also included links to their social medias because if something I wanted it to be like, if you find another female blogger that you resonate with, like if any of these tips like strongly resonated with you, I link out to their social medias so you can connect with them directly. Um, You know, it's not really all about like me just like hoarding all the solo female travel juice in the world. You know, it's about like you finding the person whose information and content resonates with you enough to give you the confidence to take your solo trip. So you know, a lot of, uh, a lot of reasons to also check out the blog in addition to the podcast, but yeah, do keep in mind, we're picking up this week with number 14. We're going to go through number 30. And, uh, if you want to hear the first half of the podcast, it is just last week's episode. It's going to be episode number 52. And then this is actually number 53. So feel free to, uh, engage with the content from last week in any manner that you see fit, but we are going to be picking up this week with where to stay during solo travel, how to pick the place that will work best for you. We're also going to get into some solo female travel safety tips, um, which is obviously a big topic in the solo female travel sphere. We're going to be talking about making friends while traveling. And we're going to be talking about, uh, as we wrap up, dining alone while traveling. So I hope you stick around this week. I hope you also check out the tips from last week. Again, you can listen to this one and then move on to that one. It doesn't really matter the order that you, uh, that you listen to these. So thank you for being here this week. And I am so excited to be chatting with you about one of my very favorite topics in the world, solo female travel. I can't recommend it enough. If you're someone who's considering it and just needs a little kind of like confidence boost or a little push or, you know, just hearing from others who have done it before that you're going to be okay. It's scary. It was scary. Everyone's first time. Most things are scary. Everyone's first time, but you know, you find your groove and 
you take the good advice from others and then you just end up kind of doing it your way anyway. So, you know, these are just sort of things to kind of ease your mind. Uh, so thank you for tuning in and we're going to take a short break and come right back and talk about options of places to stay during solo travel. Welcome back. So we're talking about um, where to stay during solo travel. Um, you have a lot of options, of course. I mean, they're kind of not unlike the same options you have when um, traveling in a group or in a couple or in a duo, whatever you travel in. Um, but, you know, just some things to consider when looking at it through the lens of solo travel specifically. So this is tip number 14 of the 30 uh, that the uh, that are written in the blog, which this podcast is based off of. And this one comes from Marissa of Marissa of Maris around the world. So her name is Marissa. Her blog is Maris. And um, she talks about staying with a local family. And this is, uh, you know, this might not be for everybody, but uh, it's a really cool way to kind of immerse yourself in the culture. So she says, you know, consider booking at a locally run guest house or doing a homestay with a family, which you can sometimes find these using big sites like booking.com, you know, and selecting homestay or guest house or both in the, uh, there's a menu where you filter by type of accommodation. So you'll see hotel, hostel, apartment rental, homestay, guest house, like if those are available for the location you're looking for, but that's an easy way to find them. So even if it's just for a short period, you know, this is a great way to, to meet super friendly people who, you know, actually will be able to offer the equivalent of a local guide right at your fingertips. She talks about a homestay that she did in Japan, and it was one of her best like solo travel you know, decisions that she made, and uh, she really can't recommend the experience enough. So from her experience, I've personally never done one of these. So you know, I'm gonna just going to go off of what she says and how she recommends. But she says, you know, the people who host travelers are often also travelers themselves. So they enjoy talking with travelers, helping travelers out. There, you know, there are other people who who adventure, who maybe have that adventurous streak, well, where they'll just go into another person's home, and to them, it's it's totally like a normal thing to do. So yeah, and the the these are generally inexpensive, um, definitely when compared to a hotel or a resort or something like that. Um, but you know, you're also supporting directly supporting a local, which is which is great. Um, you know, and also you are getting a cultural experience in everyday living in that place that you can really only experience uh, this way. So yeah, homestays and uh, guest houses are, are great options for solo travelers. The second uh, tip under accommodations comes from Or, O-R, and her blog is My Path in the World. And she recommends booking an Airbnb private room in a house. And this one I have done as well. And I recommend it as well. Uh, again, you have access to a local because you're staying in their house. And if this might seem weird at first, you know, just think about it in, in these terms. Like this person wouldn't offer this if it was weird for them, <laughs> you know, so you're not really going to be inconveniencing someone or, you know, like there's someone who's opening their home willingly. Like, you know, you can act as though you're a guest, but you're a paying guest. You know, you have rights as well. It's not just, you know, uh, 
you're not inconveniencing them by being there. If that's a thought that might come up in your mind, like, oh, it might be so weird to just be a guest in a random person's house. Well, if it was super weird for them, they wouldn't be offering it. So, you know, you can kind of maybe set your mind at ease a little bit with that thought, I hope. So just because you're traveling alone doesn't mean you have to sacrifice comfort and privacy with a dorm, with a hostel or a dorm. And of course, that's usually the go-to when being advised about solo travel, like, oh, just stay in a hostel, you know, and you can meet people. It's so easy. And that is definitely true. Um, there's a social aspect built into hostels that is only really something that comes with hostels. Uh, but if you're not someone who's comfortable in a hostel, you know, it tends to be a younger crowd. It tends to be more of a party crowd. It, it, if that's not for you, you know, the Airbnb private room is is a great option. Um, so it's also a way to do travel a little more budget friendly and also have privacy, but also have a local who can be of service or, a, a, you know, at least get point you in the right direction and tell you what to definitely avoid and what to definitely make a must-see so to find an Airbnb private room, navigate yourself to Airbnb, open the menu that says type of place, and there is a checkbox for private room. So you'll just uh, check off private room, hit save, and it's only going to show you private rooms. So what I have found is that for the most part, no one with like people are only doing private rooms in really nice houses, you know, because otherwise like you're not gonna, it's already, you know, it could be a little weird for a lot of people to be staying in someone's private home, but they're not gonna, I have found that they don't necessarily advertise places that aren't really, really nice. It's usually really nice houses. Um, So it's, it's actually a budget friendly way to, you know, have a share um, and also have, a nice place in your own private, um, your own private uh, room, often a private bathroom. So, or who who gives this tip? She, you know, says for her um, traveling through Europe, uh, she only did these uh, private room stays. She actually found a place in Madrid for only 125 US dollars for the week, which is incredibly, incredibly cheap. I will say for a private room. But, um, you know, the, those deals are, are definitely out there and there's no way you'd get like an apartment rental in, in Madrid for 125 US. So, you know, check out the option of an Airbnb private room. This next tip is from Sydney of A World in Reach and she talks about hostels. Um, I personally am not a hostel traveler. <laughs> uh, I would opt for an Airbnb private room over a hostel in a heartbeat, but a lot of people, um, you know, swear by hostels. Um, you know, they're, they're cheap. That's definitely as hostels are known for. Um, but they're also great for meeting people as, as mentioned. Um, again, like if you were asking random people for solo travel advice, I think half of them would tell you to stay in a hostel. You know, they just have that reputation, um, as the place for, it's younger travelers, it's social travelers, I think uh, definitely solo travelers. Uh, it just, that's the crowd it's designed to attract. But, you know, do your homework because not all hostels are created equal. Um, the number one site for hostels in the world is hostelworld.com. And, uh, you know, there's reviews, obviously. 
for everything, but you can also find hostels on, on bigger sites like booking.com and, and things like that. So, um, many hostels have female only dorms, um, which might be a preference for a lot of female travelers. There's also private rooms in hostels where you'd get your own room, often your own bathroom. Um, but you also still have that same built-in social aspect where everyone's there to, to pretty much meet other people. So when, when picking the perfect hostel, you know, consider safe location, think of the top sites in your destination, pick a hostel close to there, pick one with good accommodations. Uh, this is a recommendation directly from Sydney, who is a hostel traveler, to get one where the curtains close around the bed. This is a small feature, but it makes a huge difference for your privacy. So that's a from what little I do know of hostels, I know that's a pretty common feature and I'm only speaking for Mexico travel. So maybe in other parts of the world, it might not be, but yeah, find one that, you know, you can kind of close yourself in at night. So even, even just a sheet or like light curtains, you know, it's, it, it's good for your mental uh, well-being to kind of just be able to disconnect. So those are some options for accommodations on uh, where to stay as a solo female traveler. We're going to take a short break and come back and talk about solo female travel safety tips. Welcome back. And this uh, section is about solo female travel safety tips. So if there's a, always one question or comment that comes up when you mention solo female travel, it's safety, which is a great thing. Um, I think we don't talk about safety enough. And I think that when someone asks about solo female travel safety, I'm actually glad that it's like their first thing that's on their mind, because I think keeping safety front of mind is the number one way to keep yourself safe. Um, good judgment, common sense, using, you know, listening to your intuition, using good judgment. That's how you stay safe. It's, it's not really about like, is a place safe or not safe? It, you know, that, that doesn't exist. Every place is safe and unsafe. You know, it depends on what's happening to you. So it's really, for me, it's really about, you know, making sure safety is your priority and, and going from there. So we're going to do some solo female travel safety tips. This first one is from Kelly of Jersey Globe Trotter. And she says, don't reveal where you're staying. And actually, I really could not agree more with this one. I feel like actually keeping a lot of things to yourself is, is a, a good tip for safety. So she says, um, you know, when you travel alone, your hostel, your hotel, your vacation rental, your wherever you're staying, it should be your safe space, you know, and you shouldn't ever feel afraid of being in it. So inadvertently giving out too much information about where you're staying could could throw off your your feeling of safety in that way. Most of the time when someone asks where you're staying, it is truly innocent small talk. Um, but of course, you do never know. And there are times when it's okay to lie. There are times when like, if the word lying is like triggering and you're like, no, it's never okay to lie. There are times when it's okay to not tell the full story. And this is absolutely one of those times. And I love Kelly's tips here. She says, you know, if you're someone who's not a good liar, 
give a general answer by just saying the name of the town or the part of your town, or the part of the town you're staying in. So for this, something like I'm staying in downtown will work. Uh, I'm staying on the north part of town. I'm staying in the Roma neighborhood. That's a neighborhood in Mexico City. You know, so many cities and in, in larger towns actually also will have several chain hotels like Marriott or Hilton. Um, you know, and if that applies to your destination, you can re respond with that. I'm staying at the Marriott, you know, and, and leave it at that. So again, if you're not someone who's a good liar, uh, which is not necessarily a bad thing, um, you know, take a minute, a couple minutes to research the area before you leave, you know, and have a response plan. So this is a question that's probably going to be asked during small talk. Where are you staying? Oh, I'm staying at the Marriott, you know, like in, I'm, I'm in downtown, you know, have your answer ready. So really great tip. I love that one. This next one is contributed by Arabella of the Spicy Travel Girl. And she is actually, uh, I have corresponded with her a little bit. She's a younger traveler, like 20 years old, like a younger girl traveler. And she's German, but she, I believe she lives in Pakistan now. So um, one of her tips is to use Uber instead of uh, hailing a cab. And I, I totally agree with this. Um, and I, so I, I live in Mexico and I blog about Mexico and there are what is called official taxis in Mexico. And then there are just like other <laughs> people who operate taxis. So in Mexico, we, it's always like use the official taxis. But if you don't know what an official taxi is, you know, Uber is the safe way to go. So for me, I always end up recommending Uber over taxis in Mexico. And uh, she recommends it as well. So, you know, for, for women traveling alone, the thought of a taxi can be a little intimidating and that's understandable, but in some parts of the world, like, you know, she, if she's in, in Pakistan, like private transportation is an essential part of travel in, in certain parts of the world, especially like maybe a little more, uh, off the beaten path travel destinations. So, you know, it's important to choose your, your transport wisely. Um, you know, Uber, Lyft. Didi, Kareem, those are just different options. I mean, obviously Uber's the one used in most places in the world, but there are also other ones that are used more regional. So in Mexico, Didi, D-I-D-I -I, is a big one. Uh, you'd have to have an iTunes, a separate iTunes account because you can't download the app from a US iTunes. But, um, you know, depending on where you are in the world and your settings for your app. Uh, you do have options if you're not a fan of Uber, but of course, Uber is the most universal platform. So just a couple ways that Uber uh, helps with uh, solo female travel safety. They calculate the prices for you, so you can't be scammed. You know what you're paying when you book the Uber. Um, you can track the car's location, the live location on the map, if you have the Uber app open while you're driving, so you're making sure the driver's taking the best route and following the designated route. Uh, it's easy to report inappropriate behavior by a driver to the app, which I'm sure is something they don't want to happen. Uh, and you can pay via credit card. You know, your credit card is connected to the app, so you don't need to be pulling out your wallet. You don't need to be exchanging cash. So, uh, um, yeah, I, I couldn't agree more with the tip about uh, using Uber over uh, taxis and, and other things like that. This next tip is from me. <laughs> and tip number 19, don't be afraid to be rude. And um, I say rude like intentionally because I think 
it is going, this is like out of a lot of women's comfort zones. Um, but you know, we're really taught by society and through like family and friends that like a woman should be nice, quote unquote, nice. And I use the word rude. Don't be afraid to be rude because it is the exact opposite of every, of what you're taught by being nice. And of course I'm, I'm a nice person, but I'm not talking about regular life right now. I'm talking about when you're traveling in an unfamiliar place and you find yourself in a situation you don't feel safe, a sketchy situation, you know, all your red flags are going up. Your intuition is like, get out, get out, get out. You know, in those instances, it's don't be afraid to be rude. Just leave, get to safety, get to a place where you feel safe again. And, you know, if you're around someone who you don't have a good feeling about at all, just get away. Don't worry about making a politically correct exit. You know, just get away from them as soon as possible. If you're walking and like the street you're on feels like not good to you, get off that street immediately. You know, don't like, don't overcomplicate the situation, I guess is, is the point. You know, just get to safety. And if doing so requires you to be quote unquote rude or quote unquote mean or hurt feeling, that's okay. That's totally fine. <laughs> you know, if it's a, a person that feels sketchy to you, like that's not a person you're going to want to be around again. So get away from them. And if they think you're rude, that's great. And if they then avoid you <laughs> forever, then that's great too. You know, so don't worry about Again, like you don't have to make a politically correct exit. This doesn't have to be like a scene out of a movie where you're acting perfect and you know you're you're leaving so gracefully. Like you need you just need to get back to safety and ASAP. So, you know, don't be afraid to to go against the societal message of like women must be nice. Yes, like niceness is great, but there's also you know, exceptions to every rule. And I think this is a, a big one. So this next tip comes from Alex of the blog Finding Alex, and it's with two X's, A-L-E-X-X. -X. And she talks about dressing appropriately. And this might be a bit of like a trigger for some people because, you know, I want to dress how I want to dress and I don't want anyone to tell me how to dress. And I could not agree more with that statement. And Alex writes the same, that she's a firm believer women should wear whatever they want. And I couldn't agree more. But that's not the reality. <laughs> you know, the reality is that different cultures have different expectations and norms and considerations for women's clothing. And when you're a visitor in one of those countries, you no longer get to be like, oh, women should wear whatever they want. Like you're allowed to think that in your home, in your home country, you know, if it's one of those countries, but you're not allowed to think that when you're a guest in another country, you are, you know, stepping into another place to experience another culture. And if that means like, you know, certain things, then, you know, you, you should also be respectful of, of that as well. So a quick and easy option are some like lightweight scarves. Um, and I have some linked in the blog, which is linked in the show notes. These are, you know, lightweight. Obviously you can throw them in your book bag or your purse and carry them around all day without like any inconvenience to you. They're not going to weigh you down, but they're like a quick way to just kind of throw them over your shoulders because a lot of 
you know, countries, uh, conservative countries require shoulders to be covered at all times, also maybe knees to be covered at all times. And you can, you know, kind of throw them over your knees when you're sitting too. But even in countries where it's not, so, you know, Mexico, there's not really a, fee, a requirement of, you know, uh, maybe let's say how it, it would be the norm in the Middle East. But in Mexico, where I live, it's not like that. But when you're entering religious sites, like churches, it is considered respectful, you know, to take off your hat and to have your shoulders covered. So, you know, no one's going to stop you, so to speak. Um, but it's just considered appropriate. So, you know, these, uh, these lightweight travel scarves are really, really great um, for times like that. So the next tip is from Raja of the blog Umi, U-M-M-I, goes where? And she talks about letting someone at home know your plans. And uh, I really like this. You know, she says to appoint two family members or trusted friends back home as your quote unquote emergency contacts and to have a regular check in time with them. And, you know, I will always call you at this time. So they know, you know, like if they don't hear from you, something might not be right. You could also just be having a really fun time, which is fine too. <laughs> but, you know, you can share a lot of things with them, your accommodation information, transportation information, your flight numbers. Uh, you can actually even share like Uber drivers. Um, you can share Uber trips with them. It's just an option in the Uber app where, you know, share my trip status. Um, you can let them know who you're planning to meet up with. In some cases, you know, you can actually share your live location with people. If you're going off grid um, or to somewhere really off the beaten path where you may or may not have Wi-Fi, you know, let them know when you expect to be back in touch with them. Um, for convenience, you know, you might want to create a private Facebook group or even a group chat so you will be updating everyone simultaneously. You know, and then also in the case of like if one person isn't able to get back to you, someone else can. And the other members of the group can be like, oh, well, she was having a bad day, but so-and-so checked in with her and, and things should be okay. So I really like the tip of the, the Facebook group or the group chat. So this is the uh, last of the solo female travel safety tips and it's from anuk okay i'm just gonna spell the name <laughs> a-n-u-k-r-a-t-i anukarti oh so sorry for what i just did to your name and her blog is bulbul on the wing and uh she says to pretend you're not alone and i like that too uh, and, you know, this doesn't necessarily mean like having a whole big elaborate uh, fib to tell. It's really just, you know, she says, like, pay attention to your body language. You know, there's, of course, many ways that you can act like you're familiar with a place without being familiar with the place. So, for example, she says, when I'm waiting alone at a train or a bus stop, I just pick up my phone and I pretend to be talking to someone about something urgent, you know, that I need to get done before I reach the destination. So it's not a casual call. It's there's an urgency to your uh, to your phone call. Another way is like if someone approaches you and says like, hey, are you traveling alone? You know, maybe be like, no, no, no. My friends are just like in that shop right there just picking something up. I'm waiting for them. You know, it could be it's, it's about like having confidence. So maybe having some of those sort of 
rehearsed behaviors. But yeah, pay attention to your body language. Um, whatever you can do to look more like you are from around there, you know what you're doing, this isn't your first time in this place, uh, th those all help to make you perceived as, as uh, less of a tourist and more of a confident woman. So I hope those solo travel safety tips um, resonated. We're gonna take a short break, come back and talk about how to make friends while traveling. So now we are gonna talk about making friends while traveling alone. And um, <clears throat> this is a tip from Allison of Exploration Solo. She's obviously a solo female travel blogger. And um, she says to ask local women for tips. And this is an easy segue into like a very natural conversation. So whenever you're traveling solo, um, especially to a new location, you know, seek out other women who you might find by themselves. Like if you're in a coffee shop or a bookstore or shopping at just a shop for clothes, um, you know, the front desk staff of your hotel or hostel, your Airbnb host, a barista at a cafe. I mean, there's of course no end <laughs> to like who you can ask, but you know, seek out a local woman in that location for tips, which is also again, a natural segue to just a further conversation. Now it's not to say you're gonna be like, make a new best friend, but maybe you will, maybe you will make a friend. Maybe you'll make a travel friend, you know? So even if the place seems fine, has a good reputation, it's always worth double checking because every place, even safe places, have safe areas and less safe areas or frankly, unsafe areas. So um, Allison talks about visiting Asheville, North Carolina, which is you know considered a very, very safe place in the US, a really great place for traveling alone. She says she still consulted with her female Airbnb host. She was uh, very helpful, gave information on the safe places to go alone, and also which streets and neighborhoods to avoid when out by herself at night. Uh, Allison says, and I agree, women tend to be more in tune with what's safe and what's not safe. So not only do local women know what they're talking about, they also know that you're by yourself. So it's like a good, you know, link to someone that now knows you're by yourself and they, they might, you know, they may or may not, but hopefully they'll kind of keep an extra eye out on you. So I have a, another uh, solo female traveler that I recorded a podcast with. It's episode 35 and uh, it's Heather's 11 tips for making friends during solo travel. It's, it's a really great one. Uh, Heather's like a very big personality, bubbly extrovert, but um, you know, she provides really great tips. She's definitely someone who can encourage you if you're a little afraid to talk to a stranger. So yeah, check out episode 35 of this podcast. So tip 24 is from Connie of Experiencing the Globe. And she talks about using apps to meet locals. So uh, yeah, apps are not just for dating. <laughs> there's the apps for uh, there's apps for everything, as we know. There's an app for that. But um, you know, if you're feeling lonely, you know, one of the best ways to overcome it is by 
getting out of your own head and going and meeting new people, especially local people. And Connie says one of her most important travel lessons after, you know, visiting 50 plus countries, which is an impressive number, you know, it's that your trip will be much more fulfilling if you make friends like from that destination. So it might sound overwhelming if you're just starting out with solo travel or if you're shy, but you know, fear not, you don't like, while your head and your thoughts might be telling you, oh my God, everyone thinks I'm weird, I'm here alone. You know, they're more likely thinking like, who's this like amazing chick who's off by herself in like a foreign land venturing around on her own. They're probably more curious and in awe than like pitying you, you know? Like the, you know, it's sad that we do the pity party for ourselves, but mostly people are thinking, how cool instead of how sad. So, you know, that's a mental hurdle you're going to have to kind of work through on your own, but just keep in mind, like, think of you seeing a woman out by herself, like, you know, you're probably more intrigued (laughs) than, you know, like you might have a second thought that's like, oh, I wonder if she's okay. But like, you know, it's definitely like, hey, what's you, who are you? What's your story? What's going on here? So if that's what you're thinking, that's likely what others are, are thinking as well. Um, so yeah, if you're not someone who's really extroverted and totally comfortable just striking up a conversation with uh, a stranger, uh, which is understandable, there's really great apps. Um, meetup.com is uh, great for finding local activities and events going on for people who have like niche interests. So if you're, say, someone who's into... I don't know, acro yoga, you know, there might be an acro yoga group where you're headed, or there just might be yoga, or there might be meditation, or there might be, you know, you can search by category. Um, Bumble, Bumble has Bumble BFF, um, which is not the dating function, it's to find friends. Torlina is another app, Um, they, everyone has a verified profile, uh, so if that gives you a little extra peace of mind. Travello is a social network used for travelers. Um, I've personally never used this one, but they do say they have users from like every country on earth, which is impressive. So uh, yeah, you have options. there's the, uh, if you've heard of couch surfing, I don't recommend couch surfing. It doesn't have quite as good of a reputation anymore that it used to have, but there's a Facebook group called Host a Sister. Uh, that's another way to meet local females uh, who are looking to do some online networking, even if you're not necessarily staying with them, but I guess that option is there as well. So yeah, a lot of online options um, that are great for meeting locals in places. This next tip, tip 25, is from Shantae of The Salt Sirens. And she talks about doing a solo travel group tour. And this isn't, um, this can be anything from like a day tour, a day trip. Um, But she talks about retreats, um, like a yoga retreat, a meditation retreat, sailing retreats, wellness retreats, surfing retreats, um, any of the above. Like pretty much for like most uh, niche activities, there is a group tour that you can join as a solo traveler. And you these group tours have way more solo travelers than you might think that they have. Uh, companies like G Adventures, Intrepid Travel, Contiki, those are really big ones. And you can actually filter out like solo getaways. So it's pretty much all other solo travelers. 
but they do everything. I mean, these are huge companies. They do like savanna safaris in Africa, jungle river cruises, you know, uh, beach vacations, things like that too. Adventure tours, they have, they have it all. Um, group solo travel, which is kind of a funny phrase, but group solo travel really is a great way to maintain, you know, your independence while still being able to socialize. So you can kind of jump in and out of activities as you see fit to your comfort level. Um, I guess like before I started solo traveling long-term, it was kind of this thing of like, how do I make friends? How do I make friends? How do I make friends? And then after doing it for a while, it really became like, okay, how do I be alone more? <laughs> you know, you kind of, it's kind of funny how, how the, uh, the mindset can shift, but these, these group tours, group solo tours are great because you can jump in and out of, uh, of being social with people and having time on your own and having access to a trip group leader who can kind of help you out with the, uh, the local environment. Um, yeah, a lot of flexibility within this, but you know, these bigger trips, like these big sailing trips, um, like she, she did one of those, um, a sailing retreat and, you know, the logistics of even planning something like that can kind of maybe take the fun right out of solo travel. So, you know, while these tours cost a little more, you know, something like that with like a lot of planning, transportation, accommodation, food. I mean, if you're sailing, you have to have food on the boat, all those things like, Retreats are a way to kind of solo travel and have everything planned out for you. Again, these are a little bit more expensive. This might be like a bucket list kind of a trip. But if you've never solo traveled before, this also is a really great introduction to solo travel. So tip 26 is from Gabby of the Office Escape Artist, and she talks about day trips, which we just mentioned. Um, so this is one of my favorite quotes of myself, <laughs> but solo travel does not mean you're solo all the time. It just means you're the solo person in charge of your trip. So, you know, that's the one thing people ask a lot about solo travel beyond safety is like, isn't it lonely? And yeah, there are moments when it's lonely, but there's moments where you feel lonely on a trip with other people. It, you know, lonely is a normal human emotion, but you know, if lonely is something like that, you must transcend and you know, you're not ready to kind of confront those feelings, book a book a day tour, book a day tour. You know, it doesn't matter. That could be even be like a free city walking tour. A lot of cities have those nowadays. Um, but those tours are a great way to meet people. Um, they're also a great way to con combat loneliness, give you something to do. Um, there are a lot of companies that offer these. Get Your Guide and Viator are two of them. Um, plenty of options, plenty of options. I think for even, so I'm always blogging about Mexico. I think even for like off the beaten path places of Mexico, I use get your guide a lot and there will still be like at least 15 options um, for even those places. So bigger, bigger cities like Mexico city have just hundreds and hundreds of options at all different budgets and, and things like that. So uh, again, this is a really natural way to meet other travelers because most likely someone doing a city walking tour of a city is not a local. They probably live there and don't need the city walking tour. So, you know, you're meeting other travelers. It's not a guarantee that you're going to make 
BFFs, but you know, you might meet other people to like spend some time with that day or those next couple days, you know, whatever it would be. But this is a great way to mix things up and it's a great way to get you out of your head and into the town and, you know, out of any ruts of like potential feelings of loneliness that might come. This uh, next tip, number 27, is from Kalia. Kalia, K-A-L-I-L-A-H, <laughs> who I probably messed up her name twice, of the awkward traveler. And she talks about um, online networking in Facebook groups. Uh, I love Facebook groups. Facebook is used a lot in Mexico. I feel like I use it more in Mexico than I use, ever used it in the U.S., um, you know, if there's a Facebook group for everything, several Facebook groups usually for every topic, um, they can be uh, helpful. People can also be really snarky and mean. So, you know, you might want to take those kind of things with a grain of salt. But in the for the ones that are extremely helpful, <laughs> um, you know, you can get up to the day, up to the hour information on certain places. Uh, they offer, you know, the members of the group generally tend to want to be social about that area or they wouldn't join the group. Again, like there just are online trolls. It is what it is. Like some people just really get off on like saying like, why didn't you just Google it? You know, like things like that. And, you know, those people exist and whatever. It's unfortunate. They tend to exist more in Facebook groups than in many places on the internet. So, yeah. But for some travelers, like, historically marginalized and like from persecuted communities, you know, including those based on ethnicity, religion, sexuality, gender, things like that. Facebook groups can be extremely, extremely helpful, more than hurtful. Um, especially these, again, like niche down groups, not just like a general, like traveling to Atlanta, Georgia, you know, it might be like traveling to Atlanta, Georgia for LGBTQ community. So, um, you know, search those out. Just go to Facebook and type in the search bar, like wherever you're going and travel or wherever you're going in expats, like expats means expatriate. It's people who have relocated to that, that place, especially if you're doing international travel. Uh, there's like a lot of American expat groups. Um, so yeah, um, for, you know, get, get as specific as you can is, is a good recommendation for a Facebook group. And, um, you know, I, I tend to also agree with this tip that they're a little more welcoming, um, than a general big time travel group. So just, you know, don't go on there and just be like, oh my God, the, the general Atlanta travel group has like 800,000 people. And this other one for Atlanta, you know, LGBTQ plus community has, 8,000 like so which obviously the 80,000 is better like no not necessarily you know it's kind of like take it think of it as like quality over quantity so head to Facebook um it's the group's function of Facebook has really taken off in the last few years and it's super uh super helpful so this last tip in this section on meeting people is uh, coming from Emma of The Checklist Chick, and uh, her tip is to immerse yourself in the local culture. So what does this mean? Well, you know, 
a lot of people when they mention solo travel or things like that. So I live in Mexico. So one of the big things I'll hear about Mexico is like, oh, just stay at the resort and you'll you'll be fine. It's like, okay, well, the resort is nice, <laughs> but like the resort's not Mexico, you know? So as a solo traveler, you might face some barriers, like how to get around, not speaking the language, not knowing where or what to eat. But like, you know, you're not going to get it all on your first trip to a place, but by immersing yourself in the local culture, you'll at least be like taking steps, you know, to get there, to understand more, to see what like local life is like in that place, to potentially meet locals, you know, to make new friends, have a better understanding of like this new place you're in, you know, sharing culture is a way of preserving it. Um, and travelers benefit by learning something new. It's it's a big part of why a lot of people travel. So, you know, don't be afraid to sort of immerse yourself in a culture. Um, you know, obviously use your common sense. Uh, check with other local women on where it's safe to be by yourself. Um, things like that. Like maybe take a day or a couple hours to do a language learning class or take a cooking class purchase locally made goods, or even just talking to locals, you know? I mean, when people say that about Mexico, I, I about just staying in the resorts, I just don't, I mean, like, why would you even bother go going internationally? Like, just go stay at a resort in Miami Beach or something like that. Like, so for me personally, and I, I believe this is what Emma's kind of saying is like, you know, don't don't be afraid. <laughs> You've already taken such a big step by going somewhere new. You know, use your good judgment and um, and immerse yourself in the culture. Maybe even be slightly out of your comfort zone. And you know, if it's too far out, you know, rein it back in a little bit. But take baby steps if you need to take baby steps. But definitely don't miss out on the culture because you've been told by people that like, oh, the resort area is the best, safest place. You'll be safe there. Like, yeah, you'll be safe there. But, you know, it's also not you're not going to get a sense of, of where you're, you're at. So those were a lot of tips. Uh, I know a lot of people want to make friends <laughs> while traveling. And um, yeah, it is it is like a great part of the solo travel experience to me as well. So I, I get that. So we're going to take a quick break and come back. And we just have two more tips and they are about dining alone while traveling solo. So we are going to wrap up this podcast about 30 tips to uh, for solo female travelers. And this is a big one, um, dining alone while traveling. Uh, I actually, when I first started the blog on solo, um, travel Mexico solo, about solo travel in Mexico, I got a lot of questions about um, dining solo. And by the time I started the blog, I had already traveled Mexico by myself for about a year. So I was very used to dining solo and I thought really nothing of it. So it was, it was kind of weird to, to get the question um, because I actually came to love solo dining, but I realized it's like a big mental hurdle um, for a lot of people for a lot of different reasons. Uh, I actually have a couple more podcasts about uh, dining solo, episode two, 
and episode 12 are both about um, eating out and uh, eating out on your own, going to a restaurant on your own. And I also have a blog about uh, dining alone while traveling. And um, yeah, it's uh, there's a lot of messaging going on, I think, with uh, solo traveling. And, and I started thinking back about this topic when I was writing the blog and it was like, I thought, I thought back to childhood and you know, how like being alone was a punishment. Like when you were bad, you had to go sit in the corner alone, so to speak, or go to your room alone, you know, like alone was a punishment. And I think unconsciously that kind of just that seed was planted. And now we think, you know, alone is bad, but it's also like dining out is a celebration, so to speak, like breaking bread is the celebration, having some cocktails, you know, it's, it's something you do for fun. You know, and, and how do you have that fun alone, I guess. So I think there's a lot of things at play about this topic. But I definitely know that fear of eating alone at a restaurant, which is actually called solo mangarphobia, <laughs> which, um, you know, there's a phobia for everything. That is definitely true. But um, this is about not necessarily the fear of physically eating food, but, but it's more about being thinking you're being judged, Um and, you know, how do you get good at something like that? Well, if you check out episode two of uh, this podcast, it, it gives you like baby steps to take and mindset changes you can make leading up to like going out to a full meal on your own. So it's a, it's a really actionable podcast. Um, it's not just me, you know, talking, it's like giving steps like on how to work up to having the confidence to confidently go out to eat by yourself and, uh, and really actually love it. I mean, you know, you might not love it. That's, that's another truth. I have come to love it, but, um, even the point that I think it, it, maybe is counterintuitive. Um, I think sometimes people might be like, well, if you can go out to eat alone, then you love it. And I think for a lot of solo travelers, solo female travelers, because you can does not mean you love it. So in um, episode 12 of this podcast, I spoke with Emma, who has done a lot of solo travel. And, you know, she says like, dining alone is the hardest part of solo travel for me. So, you know, both things can be true. You can love solo travel and you can not love solo dining, or, you know, you can come to love solo dining. You know, it's not necessarily like I'm traveling alone. I have to love eating out alone. That's, you know, that's not the case for everyone. There's plenty of solo travelers who don't enjoy eating out alone. You know, you, you do it cause you have to, cause you're alone. But, you know, you you feel how you feel about it. You know, you it's not, you know, don't feel like there's an added level of pressure. Like, well, I want to travel alone, but I definitely don't want to eat alone. Like, if that resonates with you, don't feel like you have to. So tip 29 um, comes from Jackie of Juju, J-O-U-J-O-U, Travels. And um, she says one of the ways you can combat um, eating out alone is to take a food tour or a cooking class. And these are, this is such great advice um, because for a few reasons, like for the cooking class, obviously you're gonna gain a new skill of cooking. Um, you know, for a lot of people, cooking is a lot of fun. Uh, it's a way to get to know the culture. Um, it's a way to get to know the local ingredients. A lot of cooking tours will take you to local markets, um, which are always like fun and festive in uh, most other countries. 
and quite an experience unto themselves. I know in Mexico, that's certainly the case. The mercados are, are a big part of local culture. Um, you know, and then you actually sit down and cook with other travelers, often other travelers. And then, you know, you eat a meal together at the end. So it's like, you know, it hits, it checks a lot of boxes of, you know, immersing yourself in the culture, eating, cooking, learning a new skill, visiting the mercados, you know, not by yourself, because a lot of the, the markets can be a little hectic. Um, <clears throat> so yeah, the cooking class is, is a great way to meet other people, not have to necessarily eat alone, um, you know, and it's a, a really enjoyable trip. Cooking classes in most other, uh, especially international destinations, are very popular because, you know, again, like they, they appeal to, to such um, a big, a big audience and a big demographic of travelers. So another thing would be to do a food tour. Uh, this, again, having a local as a guide is a, definitely a game changer. They will take you to the best places, the most well-known places. They'll also take you to some hidden gems. Uh, someone who's leading a food tour, you know, is probably someone who considers himself a foodie. So, you know, you can get even other recommendations beyond, you know, you can be like, hey, where do the locals eat? You know, I want to go to check out, you know, some, now that you've helped me see the lay of the land, I feel a little more confident in this country or in this city. Like, where do the locals go? Like, I don't mind going a little off the beaten path. Like, I want to know what it's really like to eat in this place, you know, things like that. So lots of, um, lots of great options within this tip of a food tour or a cooking class. The last tip tip number 30 of this two-part podcast with solo female travel tips comes from Denise of the blog Chef Denise. And uh, she says, if you are ready to just, you know, take the plunge, so to speak, and go to a full-on restaurant by yourself to eat at the bar or the communal table. And I have personally found the, this to be true. I don't know if I've ever done a communal table. I probably have and I just don't remember, but I've definitely sit at the bar and I'm not a big drinker, um, but I like to sit at the bar because I can chat with the bartender. Again, bartenders, like this is a generalization, but they tend to be like people who like to go out. They like to be a little more social. Uh, they definitely know a lot about their town. Bartender people tend, or service industry people in general tend to be a little more in the know kind of people about where they live. So I love to be able to chat with a bartender. Um, I even would say to go one step further and maybe get to a place like when they're opening before they're super busy when like the bartender has a lot of downtime and they're probably looking to chat to like even just to make the time pass. So yeah, like the, just the nature of the bar or the communal table in this case is like if you're sitting next to someone, it just fosters communication. It's not the same as sitting across from an actual table. You know, you're you're a little more in each other's personal space. You know, you you know, it, it, this isn't necessarily the truth for everyone, but just the fact that you're sitting at a bar and you didn't get a table alone already says like, oh, this person maybe wants to chat or, you know, like their body language is definitely indicating that they're up for a chat. You know, again, you might not become best friends, but you can have the ear of a local, um, you know, and you can ask them like for tips about what to do locally. Uh, you might even discover some hidden gems 
Um, but also, you know, even just if it if nothing progresses, let's say, or you don't get like those kind of tips or you don't make a friend and you're never going to see this person outside of the restaurant again, still great. You can be like, oh, what do you recommend to order here? Or what's the best breakfast place? Or, you know, you can even just get tips um, about other food places or that food place in speci uh, specifically, you know, but best case scenario is that you do make an, a friend. Um, to me, what it says about a person who's going out to eat alone as well as you or someone who's in a group sitting at the bar, like they're social people. Um, there's a good chance they're going to want to hang out with you another time. So, you know, again, it's not a guarantee, but the odds seem to be in your favor. So check out places. Um, most places have bars. Not everywhere has a communal table. But, you know, opt for those two things over just a table by yourself. And if you do want a whole table by yourself, maybe consider an outside table versus an inside table. You know, a lot of like people passing by, just walking by on the street are more likely to say hello or, you know, it's just easier to foster conversation if you're looking to be a little more social during your time eating out alone. So that was it. Those were the 30 tips. Um, if you didn't hear last week's podcast, you, um, you'll get the first 14, 13 tips, excuse me, from um, this blog, uh, which is made into a podcast and linked in the show notes if you want to check it out. And, um, you know, you'll have the, the first set of tips. And then these were the second set. So I hope you got a lot out of these two podcasts. Um, solo travel is amazing. I hope I inspired even one person to do it. Uh, it has certainly changed my life for the better. And until next week, thank you for tuning in. And nos vemos, chicas. That means see you soon. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning into this week's episode of the Dream to Destination podcast. I hope you continue tuning in as I release new episodes each Monday. If you prefer to be notified when they come out, just head to your podcast provider of choice and hit that subscribe button. If you listen on Apple Podcasts, please also consider leaving a written review and a star rating. These two things help push us up in the algorithm so that other travelers can find us. Speaking of other travelers, if you know anyone who would love this podcast, please also share it with them. And then let's all be friends over on the socials. I'm on Insta, Facebook, and Pinterest at Travel Mexico Solo and on Twitter at Travel Mex Solo. Thanks again for tuning in and I really hope this will not be our last conversation.